the web developers podcast with Owen Gig. Stay tuned. Hey folks, welcome to the first edition, the inaugural edition of the Web Development Careers Podcast. My name is Owen Gig. I'm casting to you today from the beautiful and sunny Gold Coast on the eastern seaboard of Australia. So the podcast is going to be involving getting out there and talking to movers and shakers in the web industry, not just from Australia, but also from around the globe, probably the UK, the United States, Canada. And we're aiming this primarily at those looking at web development as a career. But hopefully it will also be interesting to a wider audience. So we're going to talk to developers, recruiters, careers coaches, business owners, and many other people who might be considered relevant to listeners who are embarking on a journey into the web business. So before I introduce today's first guest, I'd like you to invite you to follow my Facebook page. And that's facebook.com, Owen Gig Tutor. That's O-W-E-N-G-I-G-G Tutor. So I'll be posting the podcast updates on that page. And you'll also find extra posts on tips, tricks, courses, and a lot more. Anyway, without further ado, I'd like to welcome my first guest to the show on this very first edition. And I'm pleased to be joined today by Michelle Blau. Michelle is a web developer and a business owner, and she runs unet.com.au from her base in Tweed Heads in New South Wales in Australia, and that's not too far from where I'm based on the Gold Coast. So welcome, Michelle, and thanks very much for joining us today. A pleasure. This is actually my very first ever podcast, believe it or not. Is this something you've ever done before? Uh, no, I've done a few radio interviews for previous businesses, but never a podcast. <laughs> Are there any podcasts you follow? Uh, no, not really. Um, I just, I'm a reader. I like reading things rather than listening. So you're currently based in the coastal town of Tweed Heads, which for our listeners is northern New South Wales in Australia, just on the Queensland border. Um, it's a lovely part of the world. Tell me a little bit about Tweed Heads. Oh, um, it's based around, uh, well, Coolangatta and Tweed Heads is based around surfing, I suppose. It's um, beautiful beaches and um, just a small little community. It's Most of the people from down this end don't go up, you know, past Burley, really. So don't go north much. So we're a little tight-knit community, I suppose. So when you began the UNET business, was the Tweed Head community the focus of your customer base? Or was it more sort of interstate or global? Um, no, I probably 70% of my clients I've never met face-to-face. Um, and I've worked with clients overseas and and many, many interstate. So, yeah, most of them actually interstate. Okay, so how long is it now since you set the business up? And I know it's quite a, quite a new business, but you're doing pretty well. Um, when, when did you begin UNET? Um, oh, a Officially started um, about a year ago, a year and a half. Yeah. Yep. So I only graduated from college um, in uh, the beginning of 
2016. Um, so, and then pretty much started the business full time from then. So just a bit, bit under a year and a half. That's interesting how you've progressed so quickly in such a short space of time. If, if I'm just going to roll back to your early days, I'm going to go back even as far as uh, schooling. So was sort of coding or programming something that you're interested in at school? No, uh, I was in high school in uh, the mid-80s. Um, I went to a very alternative uh, high school that was tucked away in the Adelaide Hills. Um, they did have a computer room actually, um, and I still remember you'd walk, have to walk past it every day. And <laughs> it was just, it was the probably the place of least interest in my life at that stage. It was full of nerdy boys. Um, there was none of them of which I was attracted to in the slightest <laughs> at the time. Um, and um yeah it was just boys as well it was not never never a female interested in that type of thing for some reason i have no idea at that stage um so yeah last thing i ever 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 thought i would be doing so in a nutshell your first experiences of it was actually walking past the computer room is that right (laughs) <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And then my second experience was when I was probably 16, um, again, like mid-80s, my dad decided for his business, my parents have always been self-employed, that he needed to buy a IBM computer. Um, he had not the slightest idea about anything technology, uh, decided it was something he had to do. I think at the time they were like 15 grand or something ridiculous. Like it was a huge, huge investment and it sat on our dining table. So basically we couldn't eat at the dining table anymore because it was quite large for I think about two years. And in that time, uh, my dad got some uh, paid lessons. And uh, again, that was one piece of machinery that I would have to walk past every single day and had no interest in whatsoever. It was sitting there and I didn't even attempt to switch it on or see what it was about or sitting on any of his lessons. I didn't care about it at all. <laughs> so what kind of business was your dad involved in? Ah, uh, geez, many, many. Uh, he was a opal dealer and um, used to export gemstones, Australian precious stones overseas. He was one of the first people to bring red wine to the, Europe. Um, he was in real estate and development. He was in, um, had his fingers in lots of pies. So I grew up in a, and my mum as well. She had all of her own businesses, lots of little businesses. Some failed, some succeeded a lot. You know, I was, I grew up in a, a very entrepreneurial household. So would it be fair to say you got quite a bit of business mentoring from your parents at the time? Yes, and I was always interested. I, I was an only child, so I wasn't really distracted by, you know, playing with other kids. I was just, you know, me and my parents uh, living fairly remotely. So um, I was always interested in what they were doing. And I used to say to mum when I was like probably four or five years old that I was going to be a big, important businesswoman one day. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I always had that dream. Mum said that when I was little, I used to love filling in forms and signing things and say that I had $10 million in the bank and all that sort of stuff. You know, I was, I was sort of had that bit of an entrepreneurial spirit right from day dot. Oh, so when you make your first million dollars, are you going to be framing your bank statements and putting that on the wall? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, maybe back then I would have been one of those people because I always said I was going to have a red Ferrari and I was going to do this, that, and the other. But <laughs> my um, my my priorities have shifted greatly, and um, I definitely am driven to be financially free and make you know really good money and have a successful business. But my priorities are more about travel and um, yeah, enjoying life. And red Ferraris do not interest me in the slightest anymore. Until you can afford one, at least, then I think you might change your mind again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, then I'll, I'll get a Range Rover, a bit more practical. <laughs> so I, I believe when you left school initially, you sort of did quite a wide range of jobs, including modelling, I believe. Yes, yes, um, you did your research. Um, I, typical 80s, person I suppose I dropped out of high school I finished year 11 and that's as far as I went and uh, all I wanted to do was hit the ground running and go and explore the world and I was quite um, you know adventurous and confident and um, had big ideas already and school was just holding me back so uh, I moved to Melbourne actually when I was 16 and yes I started uh, modeling so that was a good way to you know make money and travel and um, start, I suppose, um, exploring and experiencing things. Um, yeah, so that's that's definitely how I started. I did also um, some uh, like creative uh, set design work for a small little company. Um, yeah, I was just having fun, pretty much. <laughs> so if I'm joining the, joining the dots between sort of jobs like modelling, set design. Uh, right through to what you're doing now, web development. What was what was that sort of spark that kind of moved you in that direction? What what was the catalyst that got you into developing a website? Oh well, that was only just recently, and sort of it came out of necessity. So uh, I met my current partner um, in July, thirty years ago. Um, and he was a surfer and ended up getting into making surfboards um, not long after we met. He was actually modelling at the time when we met. And he uh, started you know, his own brand and own uh, company making surfboards. And we actually also had children quite young too. So at that stage, I sort of threw myself into A, motherhood, and B, running, helping running his business, which became quite successful, and we, you know, had a, a global business. We dealt, exported all around the world. We dealt with, I think, twelve different distributors in twelve different countries. Um, quite up there um, in the whole surfboard world, I suppose. Um, and probably around uh, two thousand and eight or so, when the, you know, the so-called GFC hit and. Um, what happened to Australia was there was a mining boom which uh, pushed up our Aussie dollar. So we were on par even over the US dollar, which yeah. for us um, exporting basically killed our export market. So probably a third of our manufacturing at the time was export. Um, that pretty much disappeared overnight because we couldn't um, competitively land the product in those countries anymore. Um, another third of our market was taken because due to the cheap uh, well, due, due to the strong Aussie dollar and us being able to buy overseas cheap, um, all the Chinese boards came flooding into the market. So that's another third of our market gone. And then the final third, which was our core custom guys here, you know, they sort of tightened their belt as well. So 
within you know a 12 month slide we went from you know being a global entity to um you know bleeding at the seams uh we had a lot of money invested in our own custom built factory premises which was huge and we had staff and we had stock and we had you know distribution all around the world we had everything going on and that just suddenly gone (laughs) i guess that course of events after you've invested so much time so much effort into building the business it must have been heartbreaking at the time yeah it was i mean it all happened so fast it was almost like we didn't even have time to really sit back and work, see what was happening. Uh, I mean, we, obviously we could see what was happening, but we couldn't, we didn't emotionally attach ourselves to it because we were just literally trying to keep our heads above water. So I think when you're drowning, you don't realise that you are because you're just too busy, you know, paddling your arms or whatever. Do you look back on that period as kind of a real learning experience? Yeah, absolutely. We both have, we have no regrets. Um, we learnt a lot. Um, we, it, we realized, and also, you know, just on a personal level, we've been in business together. We've been together almost 30 years. It just made us stronger and more determined to just work together and, you know, support each other and work through this. So, you know, it just each sort of hardship that we've been through, it's actually brought our relationship to a, another level, but in, in a good way, you know. So, um, our kids, they were teenagers at the time and they both, you know, just, stepped up to the plate and helped wherever they could and they were just fantastic um you know everything it, I look back at it in a way sort of as a good time um and having accumulated material possessions over years and years and years and then all of a sudden having to release all those material possessions and be left with nothing which is actually what we were we had to sell our home sold a car sold everything we owned we had left with nothing it was actually quite liberating. It's amazing how it felt. We felt very free for the first time. And with the little that we had left, we literally said, because we'd had children so young, we'd been throwing ourselves into our own business in our early 20s, while I was in my teens, actually. We decided to throw caution to the wind and we traveled for two years. We became almost like teenage backpackers. Our kids were um, grown up um, and... Yeah, we went overseas and sort of didn't really come back for two years. We did pop back a few times for different events and then we'd go off again. Um, and then getting back to your original questions of how I got into web design. was <laughs> So at this stage, I hadn't been thinking of any of that. Um, yeah, so we got back and decided that, uh, you know, we had to be serious now and knuckle down and work out what, you know, stage B of our life was going to be. Um, and... Actually, what happened to me was um, one person in my life, um, a, a good friend of ours, actually inspired me the most to, to go down this path. And I had been helping him um, with some uh, web sort of advice and social media advice. And the reason that I knew what what, what I was doing was because um, getting back to the surfboard industry, it's a very youth-orientated market, youth-driven market. So we always had to be on the pulse when it came to anything uh, web-like. So, you know, the minute Facebook came about, we had a Facebook page. We had MySpace before Facebook. We had, we've had a website for, you know, 10, 15 years. We've, you know, we were up with the latest technology at the time because our audience was consuming our information via that medium. So we had to be very aware of that medium. And because we were, you know, we were a fairly large company, but, you know, we still had to 
be aware of our marketing budget. And at that time, print media was still the primary source of information. So we were spending literally tens of thousands of dollars a year on print media, but we still had our fingers in, um, in um, you know, online media as well. But I taught myself pretty much how to run that side of things because we couldn't afford to sort of pay all this money into print media, but also pay all this money into online marketing. So I was self-taught and didn't realize actually a lot of the times you don't realize how much you know until you start talking to someone else about it. Yeah. And this particular friend of mine that inspired me, I was helping him with stuff, you know, online stuff. And I was like, you do this and you do that and blah, 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 you know, sat there with him for a few hours. And he's like, my God, do you realize, have you ever listened to yourself? I'm like, no, not really. He said, you should, you can sell this information. You know so much. This is so great. You could help so many people. Like the way you explain it is so clear. And, you know, he really inspired me. He said, and at that stage, obviously, we were looking at a new career path. And he said, why don't you go to school and learn this stuff and then, you know, make that a career? And for the first time in my life, when it came to, you know, that area of things, I sat there and went, oh, <laughs> maybe I can do this. And um, so having going to college and paying for tuition was something that was definitely out of the question because we were still, you know, pretty much had nothing. Um, and I ended up finding out that I could go through the um, uh, whatever it's called. Um, the, vet, the vet fee. Yeah, vet fee, and yeah. Um, and go to college. And they said, and I, they said, what are you interested in doing? And I said, well. Uh, I suppose digital media and they said well you can go to this college that college this that and they gave me the options and uh, then uh, the college at Rabina is the one that came up to be for the closest for me and then they said oh you could do it online or you could do it on campus and I said oh look I'm a real uh, I like I like to be present that type of person I prefer to do it that way and I like to be have people around me I'm a very people orientated person so I thought perfect on campus Rabina it's not that far away and so, yeah, I signed up and I think within weeks actually of that whole conversation, I was started my first day at Rabina. Um, and yeah, the, I suppose the rest is history. Um, but I don't think I would have really, I might have eventually got to that point and discovered that that's where my passions lay. But it sometimes just takes one person to make you aware of something that you are actually already aware of, but you don't know it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I guess, I guess sometimes it's just that that little spark that becomes sort of kind of like a eureka moment. Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah. Well, it's things that we 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 sort of subconsciously know, but we don't. I don't know. It's it, it was it was a it was a special moment where I realised that I I had all this knowledge and had all these tools that, but I never thought to use them for any other purposes than just my own business so all of a sudden someone gave me the confidence to say you can help other people <laughs> and since then I'm just yeah this is my life I live and breathe anything to do with digital media I suppose um, I love it I'm wake up every morning and look forward to sitting by my computer I dream about it at night I work weekends um, yeah I love it found my passion for sure so having started the business at college, I believe you got involved in a government program called NICE, N-I-C-E. Well, for, for my benefit and for the listeners, could you just give me a rundown on, on what that program was, what it entailed, and how it helped you? Well, I hadn't actually heard about the program, but 
I was introduced to the program by uh, the, one of the departments in the college that sort of helped uh, transition students into the workplace or into business. And um, they suggested that we look into that uh, as a group of us and apply for it. And we went to one of the um, talks um, regarding it through the NICE program. And it basically starts off by uh, giving you sort of like a crash course uh, business um, certificate for in small business, which I actually already had. I got back in the 90s, but I redid it because things change and I learned a lot anyway, so it was great. So you do that for, I think, six weeks or eight weeks or whatever it was. Um, and But the minute you start, you sign up, you get paid a weekly, I think it's around $300 a week, um, to help support you and your new business. So it's basically allowing you to pay yourself a wage from your business without actually um, draining any of the the funds of your business. So the payments went for, so the training was for I think uh, six or eight weeks and then the payments went for a full nine months. So that was absolutely brilliant. I was able to supplement the income that, you know, my husband was also making from his business. He still makes surfboards and we still run the surfboard business but on a much, much smaller scale. Um, but then my, this $300 contribution a week just helped, you know, us get through and uh, me focus on, on growing this business. And by the time that that nine months was up and um, and the, the, the money stopped, you know, I was completely self-sufficient. So I couldn't have done it without that program. It definitely was, you know, helped me out a lot and I highly recommend it to anyone looking to start a new business. Is that program open to anybody in Australia or are there any sort of specific requirements that you have to meet to get enrolled? No, uh, well, um, you have to apply. So you have to have obviously a business idea um, in the first place and it has to be within an industry that is a growth industry. Um, or uh, There is a couple of requirements and specifications, but I think it's pretty easy to get in. Um but then you also have to perform during the um, process. So first of all, you have to uh, pass the um, Cert for and Small Business Management. And it's quite, uh, I wouldn't say, it's not difficult, but it's, its you know, you, you can't just not do anything. You have to write out a proper business plan and um, there's, there's a lot of re- requirements to that component. Um, so you've got to pass that. And then uh, one of the, parts that you do is you create uh, your projections, your financial projections for the year, and you have to be within 10% of those projections as well. So if you're saying you're going to be, you know, making, uh, you know, $10,000 or $6,000 in a quarter, let's say, and you only made two, then they'll, they won't just kick you out, but they'll talk to you saying, hey, what's going on? Why aren't you anywhere near your projections? Can we help you? And if you just, if you don't care or don't perform then you get kicked off obviously so i'm guessing you didn't put the red ferrari in the projections (laughs) no (laughs) but yeah i um i was you know above my projections and um sort of didn't uh, my um, mentor was you know very happy with the results and he was great he's no longer with them anymore which is really sad but um he was he was an amazing guy um, but yeah, it was great. Uh, niece uh, helped me out. It actually just finished for me. It just finished in February, so um, it hasn't been long. 
since I've been off the program, but now I'm completely uh, unguided, I suppose. I'm, uh, I'm not getting any assistance, unassisted. I'm just out doing this on my own, and I'm actually moving into an office, my own office, this weekend. So Congratulations. very exciting. Thank you. Thank you very much. Is that in Tweed as well? Yes. Yep. 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 We've just got a small little space um, for, uh, you know, three people um and we're just doing the we're just sort of renovating it at the moment to make it look cool and funky (laughs) um but yeah it's it's a great little space um it's in a little growth area and for me like I said you know probably at least 70% of my clients I've I've never met before um and where my office is based is, I mean, I, I've worked successfully from home. It hasn't been a problem. And I've got some, you know, big, big clients um, that probably think I have an office, but I don't at the moment. Um, but I just need a bit more structure. I need um, less distractions. I need to be able to sit in a space that doesn't have, <laughs> you know, a washing machine and a washing line and, yeah. um, you know, the, a kitchen where I can just make whatever I like or start cooking dinner at three o'clock in the afternoon when I should be reaching a deadline. You know, I, I, I just need a bit more structure. Um, I'm easily distracted. That's probably, although I'm very, very driven and I will complete tasks. Um, so if I do have a deadline, I'll stay up to midnight to complete it, but I do get distracted along the way. And then I ended up, and I end up thriving under pressure. So I leave everything to the last minute and just go, and then it works out perfectly in the end. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the office will probably help you in quite a few ways. Um, definitely being able to sort of split work and work and play. So sometimes I think when you work from home, it's very very difficult to just switch off. Yeah, um, I, and plus because I love what I do, you know, sometimes some evenings uh, my husband will want to watch some telly and I'm, I'm not not much of a television person he goes come and sit down and you know have a cup of tea and we'll watch some telly I'm like nah and so I just <laughs> end up sitting in front of my computer because to me that's more enjoyable than watching tv you know so um yeah I need that so just touching on when you when you first set up the business how did you go about getting your initial customer base what 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 was it you did that got those first customers through the door or should I say virtual door? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it's sort of, it It really was a snowball effect for me right from the very, very beginning. Um, and, you know, initially I thought this is just a bit of luck at the beginning, but it hasn't stopped. Uh, I, we are lucky in our past and in our business to have made a huge amount of connections. We have really a ridiculous amount of connections whether it comes to business personal you know whatnot all around the world from every type of person from every uh, business type of you know everything like very very broad eclectic bunch of connections and because of that and and the other thing is because because we've made these connections over a long time and uh, some of them are personal but a lot of them are business and we've dealt with them um, on a business level uh, they've got got to know us and trust us because we've we've always had a good re- reputation um, with how we deal with things, our ethics, um, our morals, and you know business sense and all that type of thing. So for me, transitioning over to uh, another service that many many people require that have already worked with me or worked with 
our previous company and know what we're like, they're just all clamoring to get me to help them or work with them on things that, you know, in the, in this particular area of um, digital media, web design, all that type of stuff. So that's how it pretty much started. People, connections that we already had. Um, and then since then, um, I'm, I rely heavily on, um, on referrals and recommendations. So some of my clients, and remember I've only been going for about a year and a half, but some of my clients are now, I'm now in the fourth generation of referrals. So, so by that I mean that I've had an initial client that's come to me, they've referred someone else who's referred someone else who's referred someone else who's referred someone else. I'm fourth generation referrals, um, which to me I think is pretty good. I mean, I've had, I've, I'm, I've worked with clients who have happily deposited $4,000 into my account who have never met me and have not even seen my work because I don't have a portfolio. <laughs> they have trusted the person who they trust that has recommended me to work with me. So to me, I find I'm very flattered that people, the people I've worked with obviously speak of me so highly other businesses are prepared to you know take that risk with me yeah i would definitely share your sentiments on referrals i think i think some young developers they'll set up a website spend a lot of time on seo i think that's going to do the trick but from my experience and most others i think word of mouth and referral referrals will always be the bread and butter that brings in the business I think that if you are a web developer, web designer, you should be able to make your own website look pretty damn nice. Um, but that's not enough. That's not enough. People will look at your work and go, oh, yeah, that's great. But it's not that that they want. A business person wants a good result, but they also want a good journey to get to that result. They want to be able to work with someone that's easy, that's uh, efficient, uh, that is going to not waste their time, um, bring out the best of them um, to be able to portray on their website because that's one ability that I do have coming from, you know, 25 years self-employed, you know, business experience. Um, I'm able to work with clients on a level of extracting, you know, I really, I always know that every client that approaches me that wants to uh, either have an online presence or they already have one and they want to improve their online presence, they all have that gold, you know, that's sitting there within their business that sets them apart from everyone else or something that is they do or um, how they do it or who they do it for. And I think I've got a good ability to sit there with them and that doesn't mean in person, but either Skype, phone, whatever it is, and just extract that gold. And so often at the end they say, wow, that sounds so good, but I said it myself. <laughs> you know, they can't <laughs> believe um, what what is actually not just how the website looks, but what, what it's saying and how it's saying it. And those words do always end up coming from them, but they don't – they need someone to extract it, yeah. Yeah. So, so I think that's a good skill to have as well. So you've got the big office move this week. I'm just going to ask you, out of interest, what would be a typical day in the life of Michelle Blau look like? Yep. Well, at the moment, it's probably different than it, what it will be next week because <laughs> um, I really plan to uh, you know, work more to a nine-to-five um, schedule. 
Um, but at the moment, um, and again, that's just me. It's a personal thing. It works for me. It's not going to work for everyone. So everyone has – some people work better in the morning. Some people work better at night. Some people uh, like to spread all their um, – uh, the things they've got to do over – you know, a whole entire day and other people like to, you know, I, like I said before, I'm one of those people that really thrive under pressure. So um, excuse the language, but I'm one of those people that can sort of fart ass around a little bit for a while and then go, oh, okay, I better, I better get this done. And then it's just like boom, 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 and it gets done. And I usually perform better that way. And I'm also one of those people that at nighttime, as soon as it gets dark, that's when my brain comes to life. Um, I'm the most clear and focused and uh, find that the least distractions for me once it gets dark. So that's just the way I work. I I usually start pretty slow in the morning um, and work till later at night. But like I said, it's probably not ideal for, you know, A, your health, B, your relationship, you know, all sorts of things. So I'm trying, I'm endeavouring to be a bit more business-like and work nine to five. But the thing is with my clients as well, and that's probably a mistake that I've made, I've always made myself pretty much available to them 24 hours. And a lot of clients I do work with at nighttime and ha- that works for them as well, that, you know, I can sit down and, I've, you know, I, I organise Skype calls with clients at eight o'clock at night or later and they can go for quite a while. Um, and I've got a couple of overseas clients, so I've got to then consider the time differences. So yeah, yeah. I'm a bit all over the place, but I I plan to be a little bit more structured. I plan to train my clients to know that, okay, maybe my, my switch-off time might be 8 p.m. rather than midnight. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I've plenty of times I've actually been in bed at 12 o'clock at night and been messaging back and forth, answering client questions. I've got to stop that. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I mind because I actually enjoy it. I'm such a nerd. But... <laughs> yeah, it's kind of it's kind of weird. I, th- I think a lot of webbies, especially those who work for themselves and not for a company, do work a lot in the night. There's so many night owls there. I mean, I think it's probably because everywhere's so quiet and you can just get into that zone and concentrate. Yep, yep. I love the quiet. Like, and at night time, it's not only just that everyone's gone to bed and it's it's dead quiet, but there's nothing even going on outside. I'm a bit of a FOMO. Um, I like to be involved in everything. And you know, late, late at night, you just know the whole world's pretty much well, not the whole world, but this side of the world's all tucked in bed, and you're just sitting there, just like you said, zoning in on your work. It's uh, it's very productive for me. If we're talking about the sites you're currently doing at the moment. What would be your sort of bread and butter type of job for the business? Are you focusing on CMS sites or e-commerce? What, what's your kind of um, feeling from your customer base? Um, my the two primary um, platforms I use are uh, WordPress and Shopify. Yeah. Um, but predominantly, it's probably about ninety percent WordPress. Um, that's just what I find that my all, all the clients that do contact me, one of the first things they say, and and whether they've not ever had a website or whether they have had websites, they all say they want, and that yeah, a content management system. They want something that they can access and be able to 
um, evolve themselves, you know what I mean? Like not necessarily the whole entire website, but they want to be able to add products and change prices and add images and um, uh, do blogging, all that type of thing. So people are wanting to become more involved and interactive with their online offerings. Yeah. Um, I think people are getting more used to being uh, involved in marketing online just purely through the use of social media. So they see that they have that ability to um, bring their message across to their audience via social media so they don't want a static website. They want to have a dynamic website that they can also interact with more more along the lines of a social media platform and change it up all the time. So. Yes, social media has definitely been a big game changer. Do you follow anybody on social media yourself of, of note? Um, probably some of the people, my favourites are, like I love Neil Patel. Um, I read all of his extremely long posts. Um, uh, he's, Is he you know, the SEO guy? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah he's, he's all about SEO. And um, obviously that's, that's a major factor um, in web design and web development is the SEO component. Um, it's no use putting a site out there that's not optimized for search because no one will ever find it. So uh, he he has lots of great tips and tricks and things that are from the very advanced to the very sort of simple type things. Um, so, yeah, Neil Patel. Um, I love Seth Godin. I've been reading his books and following him for a long time. He's uh, he's quite famous online for in marketing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and his his blog posts are quite short and sweet, but they're really to the point. And and it's just something that's nice to, you know, first thing in the morning to read and just go, yes, I can do that. Or you know, it's just inspiring. So, uh, he's good. Uh, a couple other things. I subscribe to uh, an email that I get. Uh, I think it comes every day. It's called Web Designer News, and it's just a collection. They just uh, curate a bunch of different latest news in the web design and development world so that just keeps you up to date with things that are happening uh, and it's good to know I mean the last thing you want is a client to say oh how about this that they've read and you don't know about it so you need to know about <laughs> yeah. it. you definitely need to keep up to date with what's going on or what could potentially be going on and also just for your business because we need to be adaptable and it is a rapidly changing marketplace that will continue to be rapidly changing so we need to be flexible we need to be able to maneuver the business um, quickly to be able to keep up with trends and changes you know otherwise you get left behind so uh, and I've just got my homepage um, uh, set to Muesli which is M-U-Z-L-I and that's the same it's just a curated collection of just some fun stuff that's just irrelevant and then also um a lot of the latest bits and pieces within the digital online world. Yeah. So that's pretty much me. I'm, I'm, my focus is I love the marketing, design and business side of things. Um, I, the way I am building my business and structuring my business is I do want to be aware and know of all the different components within um, digital media, within web design, within web development with online presence, I, I want to know it all, but I don't need to be an expert in every single area because you'd go nuts if you had to try and be an expert in every area, plus it's changing. So. Yeah, I think you make a very good point. I, th I think with a lot of smart people out there, they're very aware of what they know, but also what they don't know. And I think 
that's actually critical so you can plug in the right people for the right tasks yeah, so my thing is i've got certain areas that i'm really passionate in that i want to be actively involved in then there's other areas where i want to understand it and be knowledgeable and be up to date with but i don't need to be able to do it or understand the whole entire concept of it and that's where i surround myself with people who that is their passion so i'm now building up a team um, that i can work with that i can say okay well this area um <laughs> you handle this area um i know what it is and i know how it works but i just don't want to be involved in it but my clients need that service and so on and so forth. So I'm try I'm outsourcing at the moment um, certain components, but eventually I'd like to have you know an in-house team. That's sort of my dream. So j just allow me to tap into your knowledge a second, Michelle. Um, if I was a young aspiring web developer just looking to break into the business, start his career, what would your advice be? Um, well, in, in my case, it's a little bit different because like I said to you before we already had such a huge network that I sort of tapped into that network straight away and I haven't really had to look for work I haven't you know search engine optimization for my business is not even relevant because people are just finding me and my phone is ringing and for every four websites I complete I've got four or more people waiting in the ranks I've got I've got work booked up for months okay um so a lot of people probably won't graduate college and be able to have such a network to tap into. Yeah, of course. Uh, so in in that case... Um... Okay, what I'll do, I'll, I'll reframe that question slightly. So what I'll ask you is, if you were recruiting a junior web developer, what would be the key attributes you'd be looking for in that person? For me, that if I was... Uh, if you were recruiting support, yourself, yeah. Yeah. Okay, the, the, for me, um, probably one of the number one things before even having the, you know, the talent, because that's something you can always learn, like the actual tools and whatnot you can always learn, but the, at the attitude of efficiency and drive, like they're the things, because especially in this country, I found that efficiency is just something that's just practically non-existent in this country. I mean, you look at huge big companies like Telstra and, uh, you know, we always call, name name out Telstra, but there's heaps of companies. They, there's, you know, someone will ring you back. They never ring you back. Someone will, uh, you know, they're, they're so inefficient and they lose information or the, the, these sorts of things happen all the time. So in this country, and I've one of the things I've always said, if you can be 10% better than most of the companies out there, you're going to kill it. That's all you have to do is be 10% better. And that doesn't, that's not so much only in the product that you're providing or the service you're providing, it's in the way you handle customers. It's in if you say you're going to email them back an answer by 5 p.m., then email them back an answer by 5 p.m. If you don't have the answer by 5 p.m., still email them and say, I don't have the answer, but I will get it back to you tomorrow. Like communication, efficiency, doing what you say you're going to do, um, delivering on time, uh, and then, again, if you can't, keep a promise if you can't deliver what you said you're going to deliver or do what you said you were going to do then just communicate because people are so forgiving if you communicate but if you leave people in the dark they they get frustrated they get angry and people make assumptions if you don't email back they think you're slack they don't ever think oh they might have been in a car accident or something might have happened they just go the assholes they're slack you know so don't let people make any assumptions about you or your business get in first and um 
yeah, efficiency, that would be the number one thing. So I would expect that in someone that I worked that would work for me as well. So so for you, attitude is the overriding factor and trumps everything? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely, hundred percent. Hundred percent. Um and the other thing, getting back to the advice that I would give someone that came out of college and wanted to start their own business, and I did this as well, like even though I like I said I did have a good network that I tapped into, but I started off, and I'm not, some other people would might not agree with me, but I started off um, at the price that I thought was a, fa- a fair price for the amount of knowledge and experience that I had, which is you know, a hell of a lot less than what I'm asking now. Um, and instead of, and then and then finding that you know for the amount of money that I was asking and for the amount of work that was demanded from me. Instead of getting frustrated and just going, this is ridiculous, I'm doing so much and I'm only getting paid this much and getting frustrated or starting to take it out on the client because the client was being quite demanding and it was you that was asking that price, not them that was offering it. Um, but seeing everything as a learning curve and I think that's just in life, you have to, you can't get resentful or frustrated. You just have to say, okay, I'm learning, I'm learning. Yeah. Next time I won't do it this way. Next time I'll do it this way. So, one piece of advice I could definitely give is put the price out that you're confident with, even if it's you know a very, very low price, but still deliver a great end result, still deliver a great product. And then next time, know what you're capable of and know how much it's worth and charge more. And I've been continuously charging more and I still have not had anyone say no. So I'll just keep going until the work stops. You know? So... Um, was was that ever an issue? Did you ever have clients where you charged them such a small amount in the beginning, and then when you got more knowledgeable, more successful, you ramped the prices up? Was that ever an issue? Yeah, I have had. I've I've got certain clients that have been with me for the from the very very beginning, and I'm still working with them on a regular basis now. Um, I've got a couple that were pretty much my first ever clients and they're still they're still doing getting me to do bits and pieces for them I've always been very transparent and open and I have communicated with them and they're also very understanding so what with these particular clients what I've done is I've said to them okay you trusted me in the very beginning when you knew that I was just starting out and I had nothing to show you nothing to you know to prove to you that you should trust me and you trusted me and for that this is now your lifetime uh, hourly rate. So they get a discounted hourly rate and just because, to me, that's me saying thank you because without them I wouldn't be where I am now. But there's only a handful. And then yeah. the rest of them I have evolved and I've said, look, you know, now I'm able to achieve a lot more in that hour. My rates have gone up and everyone's stuck by me. Another thing that I do is I do send – I sell after – completing a website I do sell 10 hour blocks of time so they prepay me uh, 10 hours worth of time at a reduced rate so so they're getting a discount on my hourly rate and I'm getting um, you know, lump sums up front which is you know, is good for cash flow well thanks very much for that Michelle um, your experiences are actually really interesting to hear uh, before you go today, I'm just going to ask you something. Did you used to watch, I know you don't watch much TV, 
But did you ever used to watch a TV show called Top Gear? Yes. Now, if you remember, on Top Gear, they used to have a segment of the show called Star in a Car, where the guest would have to race around the la- race around a racetrack in the quickest time possible. And each of the main guests every week had to do this. So I can't promise you that. I can't promise you a, a spin in the red Ferrari. But what I'm going to do for a bit of fun is for each guest coming on the podcast, I'm going to have a leaderboard and it will be based on a quiz. Now that quiz will consist of five web development questions and five trivia questions. Okay, so are you up for this, Michelle? Remember, I'm a I'm a digital media person more than a web development person. Uh, you, but you, yes. you can't make it, you can't make excuses, I'm afraid. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 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 The, these aren't going to be rocket science, so I'm not going to put you through too much pain. Question number one, Michelle. In which U.S. city? are the headquarters of Twitter. In which US city are the headquarters of Twitter? Um, Gee, I don't know. Uh, Silicon Valley? You're close. You're very close, but no cigar. No. San Francisco? Yeah, you got it. San Francisco is the correct answer. Never leave a question unanswered, as I tell my children. Now, question two, and would you believe some clowns get this wrong? No pressure or anything. Number two, who invented HTML? Who invented HTML? Okay, um, well, I can tell you what it stands for, Hypertext Markup Language. Yeah. I know that. <laughs> There's so many acronyms in web, and I know, you know, you've got, you've got to remember so many of them. Um, but, yeah, it was... Um, the same person who, what, as people say, invented the internet or the World Wide Web, Tim Berners-Lee? Correct. Two out of two so far. Question three is a little bit harder. So in web technology terms, what is less? L-E-S-S. In web technology terms, what is less? And I won't accept more as the answer. Um, okay, so... From what I understand, so less extends CSS? Correct. I will accept that answer. Now, question four. I'm hoping you'll get this. Who invented the WordPress CMS? Which person invented the WordPress CMS? Okay. Um, he, his name was Matt Mullenweg, and I pronounce it the Dutch way because it's actually a Dutch name. Correct, and very good with the Dutch. No bonus points for that, though. Just the one point. Okay. (laughs) Four out of four so far. Question five. Which organisation is responsible for web standards? W3C. Correct. So five out of five on the web questions. Full house. Good going. So how are you on the trivia do you ever do any pub quizzes or such like? No, no, no. I'm not a real quiz sort of person. Well, the bad news is you've got five more questions to answer. Question six. 
What is the capital city of Brazil? Uh, yes, I have. I haven't been to Brazil. I haven't even been to South America. But capital of Brazil is. Uh, um, um, <laughs> I can't believe I'm out of all the countries I know so many capitals I'm just trying to think of the place I'm having a a blank no is it is it called Brasilia or Correct. something like that it is oh, good 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 okay yeah I remember yeah there's one city that no one ever talks about but it's um, yeah okay Okay, six out of six so far. Now I'm going to give you a question closer to home. This was actually on the Australian citizenship test that I did. I became an Australian citizen two weeks ago. This was one of the test questions, and I'm going to direct it at you, Michelle. Oh, jeez. Okay. Am I going to get kicked out if I get it wrong? <laughs> I'm afraid so. Oh, no. <laughs> so, on the Aboriginal flag... What are the three colours? Uh, yellow, black and red. Correct. You think I thought you were going to ask me in what order it was in, but I'm pretty sure, <laughs> yep, yep. You've got a stay of execution there. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Question eight is, what is the biggest, second biggest city in Japan? So Tokyo is the biggest. What is the second biggest city in in Japan? Uh, would it have to be Osaka? Correct. No? It is, correct. Oh, phew. You've been to, you've been <laughs> to Japan, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, several times. Okay, yeah. I'll I was just thinking, if I get that wrong, that's really bad. <laughs> question nine, and this is a history question. So, are, are you a history buff? Do you know your history? Well, depending, depending on what area. Maybe not war history or anything like that. But Well, I'm going to ask you a war history question, as it happens. In 1916, three million men fought in one battle. One million of those were killed or wounded. What was the name of the battle in 1916, World War One? I've, re I've read All Quiet on the Western Front as well. Um, I know when you say it, I'll go, oh, that's it. Um, I don't know. I'll have to pass on that one. That one was the Battle of the Somme, S-O-M-M-E, the Battle of the Somme. Well, I, um, I read All Quiet on the Western Front. That's the same battle, right? Yeah. Um, back in high school, but I don't remember that. So, no, I would have never answered that question correctly. Sorry. Okay, but you're doing quite well. You've got eight out of nine. So the last question, the last question is going to be a hard one. Okay. Okay. So seeing that, seeing how, how I was from the UK originally, what used to happen in, yep. a, in a pub quiz was if you won the quiz, your team won the quiz on the night, then you would get asked a snowball question, which which basically, if you get the snowball question wrong, it rolls over to the next week. Ah, oh, right, so yeah. So then the winning team next week would get to answer it, and the prize money would keep going up. Ah, oh, cool. But what used to happen was, it would be a ridiculously hard question. So <laughs> unless you absolutely knew the subject yep. intensely, then you had no chance of getting it right. Okay. So I'm going to ask you one of those. Here's your snowball question, okay? Okay. So okay. When, when the Philippine 
president Ferdinand Marcos was over mm-hmm. was overthrown mm-hmm. in the eighties. How yep. many pairs of shoes did they find in his wife's closet? <laughs> <laughs> now you'll do you'll do well to get this one. That's a classic. Um, can I just pick a number? Pick a number between one and fifty million. One and fifty million. <laughs> and you might get it right. Uh, I'll say three thousand six hundred and forty-seven. Actually, you're quite close. Oh, no way. It was 3,646. It was actually reported that there were 1,200 found. Oh, was it? Okay. But other reports I do remember did say 3,000. Okay. <laughs> I do remember that time when they found her shoes and it was just, yeah, that was sort of the... Um, the catalyst of, you know, of how bad it was. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, that was uh, that was definitely. What did you call that? A snowball question. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but that snowball kind of had a bit of a stone inside it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Michelle, thank you so much for sharing your experiences with us today. It's been really interesting talk. No problem. Thanks for listening. I hope I didn't talk too much. No, not at all. It was it was really very interesting and really appreciate you coming on. Uh, Michelle's website is at unet.com.au and I believe Michelle's so busy it's actually still under construction. Yes, but, yeah, that's Y-O-U-N-E-T dot com dot A-U. But it's under construction at the moment, so <laughs> don't judge me. Well, they, al- they, al- they always say every plumber has a dripping tap in his own house. Yes, yeah, I've definitely got one big, massive dripping tap, and it's my <laughs> website. <laughs> um, yeah, it will eventually be looking El Smicko, but at the moment I'm too busy building other people's websites to, um, yeah, finish my own. But yeah, anyway, that, that's a very good, um, that's a very good problem. But have. there is contact details. It is, it is. But there's contact details on there, so if you want to contact me or ask any questions, and I'm also happy if there's anyone else like getting into the business or in my position and wants to ask any advice, I'm more than happy to help anybody out and chat to people because, you know, there's a lot of people that have helped me out in the past and given me advice and you're one of them, Owen. So I'm happy to help anyone else out or give advice if I can. Thanks again, Michelle, and really appreciate your contribution to our very first inaugural web developers podcast so next week i will be speaking with corey harvell uh, a web developer from salt lake city and tanya collett a former recruiter and careers coach who are currently based in australia but originally from the uk just to reaffirm follow me on facebook.com forward slash Owen Gig Tutor, O-W-E-N-G-I-G-G Tutor. And also you can catch me on Twitter, handle Owen Gig. Okay, thanks for listening, guys. See you next week.